0: Well, my wife just mentioned that I made a little mistake. Uh, I, said, <laughs> I said that the prayer summit next week was 6 a.m.? Okay, uh, 6 p.m. Uh, boy, I tell you, if somebody got up at 6 a.m. because I said so and then no one was there, they might be, you know, have words with me after. So anyway, we thought i uh, better get that straightened out. So hey, um, I'm beginning a new series of messages and... Um, I'm going to be sharing the preaching load a little bit with some other people on this, but the title of this series is What Matters Most, um, The Values That Define Us. And um, we all have values. All of us do. We may not be conscious of what they are, but I want to talk about how our values shape us corporately as a body of believers. Now, some of you know about a very popular TV show known as The Office. Uh, It's on Netflix and I'm not really necessarily recommending it. Um, It is very funny but uh, you'll see this little picture here where um, Steve Carell is the actor that plays the part. He's standing there in the in the blue suit uh, and he plays the part of Michael Scott who is the the manager Uh, And he's kind of a narcissistic, self-absorbed, you know, incompetent kind of manager of this paper company called Dunder Mifflin. Uh, It's located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And the thing about Michael and this culture in Scranton, Pennsylvania at Dunder Mifflin is that Michael... Does and says all kinds of really awkward things. Things that are highly inappropriate. He's kind of socially tone deaf. Um, And that's really what the show is all about. And what you find is that because of his so called leadership, everybody else takes their cue from him. And so what you find is a really dysfunctional and sometimes very toxic workplace where there is pettiness, uh, people sabotage each other, um, there's a lot of malicious behavior, and that sort of thing. Um, So workplaces have a culture. It could be healthy, or it could be dysfunctional. Um, And so cities have a culture, countries have a culture, uh, families have a culture, schools have a culture. Even churches have a culture. The question is, is it healthy or dysfunctional? Now, some of you um, can think about some of the cultures that you belong to. Um, I grew up in a home, um, and we, we did not have the most high-functioning family culture. I'm not going to talk about that today, but I, I, I survived that. And I, my parents were great. Uh, And I know that, you know, we know they loved us and all of that, and I think they did the best that they knew how. Um, But some of you perhaps grew up in a home, or maybe you're in a home right now, in a family situation, um, that is, say, dysfunctional and perhaps even toxic. Um, You know, sometimes, uh, I remember years ago, I had a woman, uh, I was a a pastor to her and her family, they had children, and she called me and she said, I need to leave my husband. She said, he's abusive. He's abusive. And uh, he was threatening the the safety of their child and their children and all of that. And she ended up at um, a a homeless shelter. Not a homeless shelter, but a a shelter for women. And um, and so sometimes families can become toxic in their culture. Sometimes there's unspoken rules in a family. Uh, or, or maybe there's a, a pecking order, uh, who's the boss, how decisions are made. Uh, sometimes families have a code, and maybe it's a code of silence or a code of secrecy, and that can become really unhealthy. And all of that speaks to the issue of, of culture. Maybe you've, uh, maybe you're in a workplace or have been in a workplace that is dysfunctional or toxic. I ask people quite often, just for fun, I'll say, hey, do you like your job? And they go, I like the work that I do, but I don't like my job. And I'll ask them, and I usually know what the answer is ahead of time. I'll say, well, what's the problem? You like your job. You like your work, but you don't like your job. They'll say, the work I do, I enjoy. But I don't like the culture. I don't like the environment. And, you know, usually there's dysfunctional there's behavior going on. There might be bullies in the office that are allowed to get away with it and, and that sort of thing. And so you might have noticed in the news this week, do you remember what came down in Canadian news? Our governor general resigned. And I don't know the truth of all this, but the story is that there was bullying and uh, intimidation and all that that was going on under her watch. And I think some people you know, would say that she was a big part of that. And I don't know the truth of that. I wasn't there. So I don't want to be quick to judge, but she did resign. And so there's a case in point right now. You put somebody into a position of leadership. Somebody comes into a company or business, a family or whatever, um, and they can either improve the culture or they can destroy the culture by their very presence and by their, their attitudes and their, and their behaviors. So culture is really important. Um, and so... Cultures can be healthy, they can be energizing, they can be life-giving, and that's what we want. We want the culture of our families and our churches to be cultures where people feel affirmed, they feel listened to, they feel that there's a, a culture of trust and respect where there's fairness, where conflicts, and conflicts always arise, but conflicts are not just shoved underground, but they're brought to the surface where people can deal with them honestly and where there could be forgiveness and reconciliation. Amen? That's what God wants. That's healthy culture. But it always begins with the leader and the leadership team. It has to start there. So churches have a culture And I am convinced that the culture of the church is a reflection of the leadership. And so I'm putting a lot on myself right now and upon our pastoral staff and our church board and other leaders in the church. Um, For several years now, I've been saying to people, if there was one legacy that I could leave with First Church before I retire, it would be to leave knowing that the Lord used me to help enrich the culture of our church and to bring it to a deeper place of spiritual and relational health. So how sweet it is when God's people dwell together in unity and live in a way that is pleasing to our Heavenly Father, where our life together brings glory and praise to the name of our God, and people who hear about us, people who come into our midst, they go, wow, how they love one another, and how they love and serve their God. This is the real thing. That's healthy church culture. Now, we also have strategies. We've been working on that over the past year again, quite a bit. We're always working on it, but we've uh, been developing a new ministry plan this last year but you know strategies are important but culture is more important culture always trumps strategy um, st- there's strategies in the bible uh, in the old testament so how many of you here today have ever read nehemiah in the old testament it's a book of the bible and he says okay so he goes there to build the wall around Jerusalem to rebuild the wall and and so they had a strategy and there were people that were fighting against them and so one of their strategies was when you're building the wall you have a a, your tool or your trowel in one hand but you have a weapon in the other but there was a lot of strategic stuff that went along there were plans Uh, they were just making this up as they went along there was strategy Jesus had a strategy When he chose the twelve and when he released them and he sent them out two by two and all that, he had a strategy for how he went from village to village and so on. There was a strategy. The Apostle Paul, how can we read the book of Acts or read the letters of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament and not recognize that he had a strategy? He did have a strategy for how he went about taking the gospel to the known world. His three missionary journeys and so on. But most of what we find in the Bible is not about strategy. It's about culture. It's about culture. It's about relationships. It's about faith in God and obedience to God. It's about our attitudes. You know, when the Bible says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, isn't that an attitude? The Bible talks all about attitudes and behaviors. It's about love for God and for one another. It's about how we treat each other, the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. So the Bible speaks mostly to the culture of God's people. And so the Apostle Paul wrote a lot of letters to local churches that that he had started and visited Um, And his concerns were not strategic. They weren't about tactics or any of that. His concerns were often doctrinal. Sometimes there was heresy in the church, you know, um, and there was false teaching. uh, And people would slip in among them and they would kind of lead the people astray and down the wrong path. And so, you know, he was often trying to straighten out their doctrinal issues But there was also relational issues in the church of his day. where, Like in the Corinthian church. If you read 1 Corinthians in the New Testament and 2 Corinthians, you'll find that a lot of what was going on was relational stuff. There was a lot of junk there. And so, um, you know, beliefs are important. Behavior is more important. And so, yes, he was concerned about doctrine. But he was more concerned about their behavior. I don't care what you believe if your behavior doesn't back it up. Did not Jesus say that we are to bear fruit for God? Fruit that will last? You will know them by their fruits, he said. By their words, their actions, their decisions. And so, another thing, though, that we find in our day, uh, churches often have conflicts. And it's easy for a church to get into a dysfunctional or toxic culture as well. Um, and uh, in our day, I find that churches, most churches that I know of that are having unresolved conflicts, it's not about doctrine so much. It often is about relationships. And it's often about ideology, like political ideology, social issues of the day, That's what people often fight about in the church. Um, And so the truth is the primitive church did have their issues. Molly read that in the scripture reading today. You know when she got to Acts chapter 6 and you know how they were having some problems because some of the widows were being overlooked in the serving of food and all of that. And they had to figure things out because there was relational conflict. But... The fact is, culture always trumps strategy every time um, there 's an image that 's going to come up on the screen. It kind of looks it's like a little pencil drawing, and it looks like an iceberg and you 'll see here that what we often notice you know with our eyes and ears is we, we see a lot and we hear a lot about strategy and tactics, about uh, the plans that the church has, you know, and we can have like PowerPoint presentations and all that. And, you know, the Bible says many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. You know, and sometimes the plans don't pan out. Um, but below all that stuff, below that waterline is culture. And culture is the biggest part of it. You see that there? Culture is often hidden from view, but culture is something we sense. We can't always put our finger on it. Uh, sometimes you walk into a, uh, a meeting or maybe into a family situation, and sometimes you walk in and it feels just like really weird and off. And you can't always put your finger on it, but you go like, ooh, something is, doesn't quite feel right here. Um, there's like a big elephant in the room, but you can't quite put your finger on it. We can sense what that is, but it's often hidden from view. Um, Patrick Lencioni is, uh, is, a, is an author. Uh, he's a Christian, I believe. Um, but he wrote a book, one of his books more recently, called The Advantage. And it's actually a business book, but he actually says, he says in this book, in The Advantage, he says, a company or an organization needs to be both smart and healthy. Smart and healthy. When he says that you got to be smart, he's talking about strategy. When he says you need to be healthy, he's talking about culture. Smart means That you're really smart about your plans, the equipment you use, your technology, your software, the apps that you have, your skills, and your expertise. That's all the smart stuff. But then he says you also need to be healthy. That means our attitudes, our behaviors, our relationships, our decision making, the way that we communicate with each other. That's all part of culture. And then he says, strategy's about being smart, culture's about being healthy, and then he says this, it's easier to change strategy than to change culture. Transforming culture is not easy. If you have a smart strategy and you got all the plans and the equipment, you got state-of-the-art lighting and sound, and you got all the technology and all the expertise But if you got unhealthy culture, it's a house of cards. And how often do we hear about churches with scandal? Churches that split, pastors who resigned in disgrace because they weren't living with integrity. That he says, let's say you don't have the greatest strategy. And let's say you don't have the smartest people and the most gifted people. But let's say that your culture is healthy. The attitudes, the relationships, the behaviors, and so on. He said, culture will always beat strategy. If you've got a healthy culture, you could figure out the other stuff. People will be drawn to your light. And they're going to say, how can we help you? People will see how poorly we we do sometimes in... um, maybe in our streaming online, and they might say, well, you know what, I've heard good things about your church and that you guys really love God and you love one another, and you know what, I think I can help you with the problems you're having. <laughs> you know, that happens. God, God will supply the, the strategy and the people for that. And so the reason I asked Molly to read that scripture was because in the book of Acts, especially the early part, We see culture where they gathered together daily. And they were in a small community and, you know, they didn't travel very far in those days, typically. They broke bread together at each other's homes. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They prayed together continually. They fellowshiped. They, They shared what they had in common. No one claimed that anything they had was their own, like, this is mine. And that didn't mean they didn't own property. All it meant was they were willing to share. And sometimes people would sell a piece of their property. They might sell, you know, in our day, that would be like you might sell one of your cars. Or not sell, but you might give away a second car or a third car or a vehicle that you got to someone who needs it more than you do. And that was really the culture of their church. And then you see in Acts chapter 6, where the widows were having this conflict because some of them were feeling overlooked. And you know what? Churches always have people who feel a little bit overlooked. It happens. But the question is, how do we deal with it? And so they came up with a solution. The apostles said, our calling from God is, the, is to pray and is to preach and teach the word of God. We need to attend to those things. But some people have the gift of helps, the gift of serving, and so on. We need to let those people with those particular gifts take care of these other issues, these really practical, pragmatic issues that go on in people's lives, like the serving of food. And what you'll find in the culture of the early church that we read about in the Bible is they prayed about everything. They didn't just figure it out. They didn't just say, okay, let's call a meeting. No, they call a meeting all right, but they would pray. They would seek. That was part of their culture because they knew that they weren't smart enough intelligent enough they needed the lord so how do we make sure that we have a healthy culture in our church first church and what would that look like how would we express that well the way that we express that is through core values that's really how you express and define culture in a church core values are a list of statements and we have well, I presented to our church board some time ago seven core values for our church. And um, they've approved six of them so far. And we're getting close, I think, on the seventh. We'll see how that goes. But the core values are statements that tell us what we stand for, what, what's really important to us. That's what they tell us. What's important here? How we think of ourselves as the body of Christ The core values tell us how we make decisions, how we lead, how we organize ourselves to accomplish God's mission. They tell us how we should treat each other and how we respond when things go wrong. That's what they do. They address things like attitudes, relationships, and behaviors, and culture trumps strategy every time. Culture is the most important thing. We want a God culture I do. I think you want a God culture too. Over the last several months, we've been working on this ministry plan and the development of the core values and the approval of those is part of that. We already have had a mission and a vision. So those of you that know this, can you say what our mission statement has been? Making Christ-like disciples with a heart for God and a passion for people. And so the end result of that is that people will be transformed into the likeness of Christ. That's what the Bible says, is that we, if you said, Brian, what's your end game? I would say, well, it's making Christ like disciples so that at the end of the day, when you stand before God, that you have been transformed into his likeness. As you walk this earth, every day, every day, you are more and more and more being transformed into his likeness. We already have that. That's been approved long ago. That's our mission. That's our vision. Uh, It tells us why we exist and where we're going. But it doesn't tell us necessarily who we are. The core values tell us who we are. Who we are. They speak to our identity. The core values are not about strategy. So quite often I find when I'm meeting with leaders and we talk about the core values, they're going to go, oh, this just sounds like a lot of fluff. You know, like... Give me a plan. We want to get to the plan. We always want to get to the plan. But you know what? No, no. You don't start with the plan. We start with attitudes, behaviors, and relationships. That's what God cares about most of the Bible. Just read the Bible. You'll see that. So COVID-19 came along. Boy, it's been close to a year. Can you believe it? I got a little distracted. Sunday's Colleen and I are watching a TV show or a movie that was made like several years ago and we see people coming together and they're all huddled together really close and we're like, oh no, don't do that. You forgot your mask. You know, uh, that's how used to wearing masks and stuff that we've gotten. It's just so weird. Anyway, um, so where was I? Okay, the fact is we need a healthy culture and I believe that God is with us right now. I think our culture is getting healthier all the time, and I say that I, I'm not kidding you. I really, really do. Um, and when you say, Brian, how can you say the health, the culture is healthy? I'll say this: because if the leadership of the church is healthy, then the church can become healthy overall. Overall, because we lead by example. Um, I had mentioned earlier that quite often churches fight about doctrinal issues, relational issues, but sometimes it's over ideology, and politics, and the social issues of the day. Um, and I was uh, in a prayer meeting on Zoom uh, with some district leaders and pastors the other day, and then we had some breakout rooms. There was about 30 of us, and then they had breakout rooms on Zoom. And I went to a breakout, and there was just me and one other pastor and uh anyway we got sharing and i said hey how's it going in your church and uh he said oh he said terrible he said it's just divided we're split he said "Uh, my board is split and i said what's going on he said it's because of covid and it's because of the political situation in the united States." And we have people that are pro-Trump. We have people that are anti-Trump. We have people that are pro-wearing masks and anti-wearing masks and pro-vaccine and anti-vaccine. And he says they're all fighting about it. He said we've we got a service. People come to there and they, they know that we say you've got to sanitize and wear the mask, but some of them don't believe in that and they refuse to do it. And then guess what happens? They've got a they problem they've got to deal with. I'm going to quote you a scripture, because this speaks to culture. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 3. Do you know what the Apostle Paul says? 1 Corinthians 8, 3. I, I, I encourage you to read the whole chapter. He's talking about food that was sacrificed to idols and all that. You know what he says? You might know something, and you might know that you have freedom to do something, but I don't care about your knowledge, he says, because knowledge puffs up with pride, but love builds up. Love seeks to edify. And he says, if what I eat, if what I do causes another person to stumble or causes offense, I will not do it. It doesn't matter if I'm right. It doesn't matter if I have a right. It doesn't matter if I have the freedom. It does not matter. All that matters is love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It protects the other. I don't believe in masks. I'm not going to wear them. It doesn't matter if you, you know, I don't mind. I'm not offended if you don't believe in it. Do it for the sake of the other, because that's what love says. And that speaks to culture. And I'm okay. I don't care what you think about politics and who you voted for, that doesn't matter. You've you got a right to do that. I don't judge you for that. Don't judge me either. And I don't care what you think about the masks and sanitizing and whether it's all as bad as they say it is. The fact is we need to respect each other. Love does what? Always protects. You protect the body and you protect their spirit. Um, it always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. I won't do the rest. But you get what I'm saying? And that speaks to culture. And I felt so bad for this pastor. Folks, this is why discipleship is so important. This is why I started the leadership network that we're doing. And if you want to join us, the information's is on the, our website. But we started last week. had a great turnout. And got two groups, Tuesday night, Saturday morning. You can take your pick. Um, because I, 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 I know as a pastor that I and we need to disciple one another. Because I don't think we understand the Word of God at the deepest level. I really, I think we miss it. we got a maybe a superficial, but it's got to go from belief to behavior. Beliefs are important. Behaviors are more important. And I'm going to have to cut to the chase here because I'm going a little over. So here's a few things. These these core values of ours are corporate. You know, you might have personal values. So some of you here today have a value. How many of you have a value for cleanliness and tidiness? Some of you do. I do. Uh, punctuality. <laughs> I know some of you don't have a value for punctuality. Fr- <laughs> Frugality. Uh, hard work. Good grooming. Now, those are personal values. So, personal values are about me. Corporate values are about we. And you're going to be hearing about these corporate values of ours um, in, the, in the sermons to come. And so, uh, they, they deal with uh, not so much my personal values about me, but what are the values of our life together? Because our life together, because you know what? God didn't just choose you. He chose his people. Salvation is not just about the individual. It's about the people of God, the community. Um, these core values are also aspirational, the ones you're going to hear about. They're aspir- it, does, it means that we're shooting for these values. So for instance, the Ten Commandments are aspirational. God says, this is how I want you to be. Going forward, yeah, you may not be this way now, but I want the beatitudes of Jesus. There's eight of them, right? So he says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are uh, um, the those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the pure in heart, and so on." And so, those are aspirational. That we would be pure in heart. That we would be meek. That we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. That they're aspirational. Um, And so, these core values um, that we're going to be talking about um, are biblical. They're in the Bible, and then the sermons that we're going to preach pretty much are going to be based on particular passages of Scripture. Today was more topical, Uh, but I think you're going to be really enriched by this because I'll tell you right now, um, I am living into these core values. I'm not living them perfectly, and. When you hear these core values, it means that I want you, when you hear me talk about them, that you'll say, okay, Brian, put your money where your mouth is. Practice what you preach. Okay, that's fine. Brian, you said this about these core values. Are you doing that? That's okay. That's what it means. There's accountability. But we should do that for one another. And so just in closing, let me just do this. I'm going to ask us to pray. And I'm going to ask you just to respond, and then we're going to share communion together. Father, I thank you that you've given us the Bible, and within the pages of Scripture is the kind, as a description of the kind of culture you're trying to create, what I called a God culture, a kingdom culture. A culture in which Jesus is Lord, not just in word and name, but indeed he is. Um, And so as we're praying together right now, here's how I want you to respond. Would you say, Lord, would you help me? I just want you to pray this on your own, just in your heart. Lord, help me in my attitudes, in my behaviors, in my choices and in my relationships to reflect the values of Jesus Christ. To live in a way that is pleasing to you. Would you say, Lord, I want to be a Christian, and I want our church to be a church that prays first, And then we listen for the decisions of the Lord. That we would be a church of audacious faith. That we would dare to believe your promises. And follow your commands. That we would truly love one another. And experience genuine koinonia, fellowship. Sharing our lives and all that we have with one another. And Father, that we would be a church where pastors and board members and lay leaders lead by example in humility, putting others before ourselves. Father, I want to be that kind of person. I offer myself to you today. Fill me and use me. And would you say today, and I'm going to ask us to do this out loud. I'm going to open my eyes before I say amen. You can open your eyes. I want you to repeat this after me, and you could say this if you're watching the live stream. If it's to be, it's up to me. Can we try that? If it's to be, it's up to me. It starts with us, and then together as a community we'll be the people that God has called and for whom Jesus died on the cross. So we are going to... Um, share in the lord's supper here and i just realized i left my uh well okay you can chuckle those of you that are watching online here um as i get my act together oh thank you lane thank you all right we are going to celebrate today the lord's supper those of you that are watching at home if you don't have any juice or grape juice feel free to use uh, whatever it is that you have available. And um, it's interesting that when we read the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, the Apostle Paul in that chapter uh, is admonishing the church, the Christians in the city of Corinth. He said, because you know what? He said, there's pride and there's division. There's schism. Um, you're not loving one another the way you need to. 1 Corinthians 11. Two two chapters later is 1 Corinthians 13 that I just quoted part of you. There, there, There was trouble in that church. And so he said, when you come together, do it in a way that is worthy of the blood of Jesus and the body of Christ. And so today, as we take these elements, let's remember that we are one body in Christ. One body. Love one another. That was the message of Jesus. That's the message of the Bible. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you, take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you. The blood of the Lord Jesus. That was shed for you on the cross the blood of the new covenant take and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you and now may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace and all God's people said amen God bless you all